Hello, friends, and welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. We are thrilled to be a part of your spiritual journey and look forward to helping you discover God's plan for your life. To find more messages like this, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast feeds. To stay connected with us, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the handle CCGF01 and check out our website, ccgf.org, for all of this information and more. Now, here is this week's message, Grace and Peace to You. I'm like a lot of Pittsburgh kids in that I grew up loving Kennywood Park. Anyone out there love Kennywood Park? Come on. I mean, back in the day, the cleanest, best park, great rides, great food, all that kind of stuff. And I went, of course, to my family as a little boy. And then, as I got older, I had a chance to spread my wings and go to Kennywood with my friends, which was a blast. You go by yourself, you feel like you're the king of the town at Kennywood Park. And um, I lived pretty close, so I would go a few times a year. I would save my money from cutting grass or whatever other jobs I was doing to get a little money in my pocket. And I would take that money, honestly, all of it, a wad of ones in my pocket to Kennywood and get myself an all-day pass. And man, I'd hit up the Thunderbolt front seat, of course. I'd hit the Jackrabbit up back seat, of course. The laser loop, you remember the laser loop? Man, I hit the laser loop up, I'd play all the games, burning that money, right? Just enjoying it. Hit the potato patch up. And of course, you know, not really thinking about the, 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 the problem of eating too much and riding all these rides, my buddy and I would go across the street to get more food at Racks. Do you remember Racks Restaurant? Rax roast beef. So there was a Rax right across the street from, from uh, Kennywood in the 80s, and they had an all-you-can-eat buffet. And so we would go over to Rax and spend more money and eat more food and then go ride more rides. What were we thinking? This is what we did. This is what I did for fun. But here's what I remember. I remember looking forward to going to Kennywood. I remember looking forward to spending my money and having fun and doing all these things. And I also remember leaving... Almost every time I did this, feeling like sick to my stomach, like from all the rides, I have a headache, and my, my stomach felt awful. I had no money left, like empty pockets when I came home. It was really pathetic. And I had this experience where I was, I was anticipating that I would be satisfied somehow, that I would have this satisfactory experience, and I get home and I actually feel miserable. You ever felt that way? You ever done something like that? You ever put your hope in something, thinking that it's going to be great, and then it really doesn't turn out the way you think it's going to turn out. I mean, we tend to blow past satisfaction and go right into misery. That's the American way. In fact, we live in a nation that's more affluent than any other nation in recorded history. The, the general affluence of our nation and the things we have access to, the, the standard of living, you've heard me talk about these things. We have so much, and yet, think about it, how many people are living an unsatisfied life? I mean, think about the addictions. People who, who have everything and yet feel empty inside, and so they turn to alcohol, they turn to drugs, they turn to whatever vice it might be to try to fill that void. Perhaps some of you, today even, feel very unsatisfied. Maybe that's why you showed up today. That's a good thing. If you showed up today because you're unsatisfied, that's a great thing. But so many, whether you're in this room or if you're listening at home, we feel unsatisfied. 
despite the fact that we have so much. And so the question is, how do we find a satisfied life? How's this even possible? Because when we feel, un- we feel unsatisfied, we're constantly seeking to fill that void. Constantly. We live in a consumeristic society. And there's this, this constant need to feel like we've got to fill the void that's within us. And there's a very fine line, it seems, between being satisfied and being miserable. Like I was at Kennywood Park. You know, on one hand, there's the misery of not having enough. We call that poverty. But on the other hand of that, there's also the misery of having too much. We call that greed. And so, spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you that in this series, we are going to be talking about the issues of money. And I know that there are some of you who are listening right now who are thinking, man, I hate when the pastor talks about money. I hate when the church comes and talks about money. Why can't you just leave me alone? I don't want to hear about my materialism. I don't want to hear about my, my, my greed or my money. Why do you have to mess with that? I know you might feel that way. And let me tell you, I have to wrestle with all these things myself. As I consider what I'm going to stand up and say before you, I don't say this flippantly. In fact, I find it challenging for myself to get to the point where I can actually share these things. So I get the idea of not liking or feeling like the church or God is messing with your money or my money. I get it. But I discovered something as I was preparing for this message that I think is important. I want to share it with you. Because whenever you feel like, well, why is God messing with my money? I think there's something to keep in mind that says God's not necessarily concerned about your money. I would argue that God isn't chiefly concerned about your money. You know what he's concerned with? He's concerned with your satisfaction. I discovered that as I looked at this passage. It's kind of an aha moment for me. And I believe that as we go on in this passage today, you might see the same thing. Let me give you a little background to what Robbie just read to us, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. The background is that uh, the Apostle Paul was coordinating a relief effort, a capital campaign, a GoFundMe, so to speak, for the people, the poor in Jerusalem. In fact, make a note of this, you can go to 1 Corinthians 16 and you can read about what he laid out to the people in Corinth the project he was asking them to be a part of. It's all outlined there in 1 Corinthians 16. And now here we are in 2 Corinthians, the second letter to the Corinthian church. And and Paul is revisiting what he expressed to them. They were poor in Jerusalem. He wanted the people of the church, the believers, the Christians to address this. And what he found is that the Corinth, uh, the people of Corinth hadn't followed through on their commitment. They made a commitment to give, but they actually hadn't done it. And I think there's something there for us too, because often there is a gap between what we promise to do, what we commit to do, and what we actually do. This passage addresses that. So let's do this. I'll tell you what, as your pastor today, I'm simply going to open the Bible verse by verse read this passage to you and share some things that I want to bring to your attention from God's Word that I believe that God wants to bring to our attention through this text. And I pray that it'll speak to all of us. Let's begin in chapter, in verse 1 of 
2 Corinthians chapter 8, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says this. Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Let's stop there for a moment. Let's talk about this grace in the Macedonian churches. So the Macedonian churches, and I love this, Paul's addressing the Corinth, people of Corinth, of Corinth, but he is not talking about them. He's talking about these Macedonians. And these Macedonians were those who were a different tribe, so to speak, but they have been given this grace. The word in Greek is keros. Keros. And keros is the word that we might translate favor. It's something that is given to a person so that it could be poured out. It's the same word, for instance, that we hear associated with Mary when the angel visits her. I believe it's Luke 128. In Luke 28, it says this. It says, blessed are you who are highly favored. The angel says this to Mary. And it's a way of saying you are blessed, you are favored, you are kerosed, and you are given this to bless others. You see, through Mary, the world was to be blessed through the grace of God with salvation poured out through Jesus Christ. It's the same word we see in Luke 2.52, if you flip the page from there. In Luke 2.52, we see that Jesus and his upbringing, his growing up, is described. And it says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He was growing in favor, keros. And this keros was something that wasn't just for Jesus. It wasn't just a blessing for him. It was a blessing that was meant to bless other people. The intention is that what was given to him, the favor poured out on Christ, was for all the people, do you see? And so these Macedonian Christians have been given this grace, this favor, keros. And it is a blessing that's intended to be poured out on other people. You with me? Okay, so that's the first thing we read here. And then in verse 2, Paul continues and he says this. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now hold up. Okay, so you hear things here like severe trial, extreme poverty, rich generosity, and that doesn't necessarily compute. It doesn't compute in an intellectual level. Paul's not one, mind you, to mince words. He's actually very specific with his wordings, if you know the Apostle Paul's writings. And he says that this just isn't a trial that they're experiencing. These Macedonian Christians are experiencing an extreme trial. Worse than just a trial, which is bad enough, an extreme trial. And he tells us a little bit about the trial. It's extreme poverty. These folks weren't just impoverished. They had extreme poverty. Poverty is one thing. That's bad enough. That's a challenge. These folks were facing extreme poverty. But somehow, the trial, the extreme poverty, results in what? Rich generosity. That's, that's unheard of. The people who were extremely poor would be giving in a way that made it look like they were incredibly rich. Rich generosity. That's what was being communicated. 
by the Macedonian churches. You wonder, how could this be possible? It doesn't make any sense. Well, I think there's a key in the scripture, and it's this. It was their overflowing joy in verse 2. They had overflowing joy. You see, because God had affected them with this grace, this message of Jesus, something was happening inside the Macedonians. And so despite the fact that they were undergoing great trials and they were extremely poor, it didn't matter. They had overflowing joy because of the realness of what God was doing in them. And so it resulted in what? This incredible generosity in the face of all reason. That's what's happening here. Overflowing joy resulted in rich generosity. Incredible. Let's pick it up in verse 3. Paul says, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, is what he says. They gave as much as they were able. You know, I, I had to wrestle with this. I don't think I've ever given in that way. I don't think I've ever as a person given more than I was able, more than I was capable of. I think I tend to play it safe. How about you? I mean, let's be honest. There are some of us who last November came in here, we fill out a commitment card, a pledge card about what we're going to give. And the truth of the matter is we could write some letters and say, listen, you haven't followed up on what you said you were going to give. There's a gap between your pledge, your promise, and what you've actually given this year. And there will be a lot of reasons for that. I'm not here to beat you up about it. But the truth of the matter is we, as a people, don't give beyond our ability. That doesn't even sound responsible, does it? It doesn't even sound responsible. We don't think of things that way. It's got to add up on the spreadsheet. The, the amount that we give has to fit in with the rest of our, our financial puzzle. Well, the Macedonians weren't playing like that. The way they were approaching this was, you know what? First, we're going to give generously. And we'll figure, God will figure out the rest for us. We're not worried about that. We, we will give in the absence of, of full pockets. We will give out of this extreme poverty beyond our ability. And we'll do it entirely on our own. It's incredible. They pleaded with God to do this. Look at, look at, verses, look at verse 4. It says that they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. Not only did they give, they did it without prompting. These Macedonians said, listen, please let us give. I can imagine Paul the apostle saying, hey guys, I know you've got some tough times going on right now. I know things are challenging. Look, you're off the hook. We'll, we'll, we'll get this. We'll take care of the poor in Jerusalem. You take care of yours. And they're saying, no, are you kidding me? We want to give to this. You can't, you can't Tell us we can't give to this. We, we desire to be a part of the work of God. We'll plead with you. We consider it a privilege to give of what God's given us, even though it's a little bit, for the service of others. It's the attitude of the Macedonians. Paul's setting this as a benchmark for them. He's saying, listen, if you follow Christ, this is how you should live. This is how you should give. We continue in verse 5. This is key. The scripture says, and they exceeded our expectations. 
They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord. Do you notice this? It says they exceeded our expectations. And you might think, well, they, they gave even more than they expected. I don't think it's about money. And the reason I don't think that their expectations were exceeded was about money because there's this colon there. Do you see that colon? It says they gave themselves first of all to the Lord colon. Okay? Uh, they, I'm sorry, they, they exceed our expectations, colon. And it says they gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. The way that their expectations, that Paul's expectations about what they were going to give were exceeded was that they gave themselves fully over to God, trusting him, regardless of the trial, regardless of the poverty, regardless of the hardship they were facing. They said, you know, we're going to give ourselves, all of us, our entire being, Everything we've got, we hand it right over to the Lord. When we trust in God as provider, and that's a capital P, by the way. When we trust in God as the great provider, well, then we can freely give. That's what the Macedonians teach us. We can freely give because we know that it's God who provides the gift for us. I got an illustration for you on this, okay? Maybe this will help. So um, in my family, one of our, our vices or one of, the, one of our guilty pleasures is we love Doritos. We love, I mean, nacho cheese, first of all. We love Doritos. Any Dorito fans out there? And I got to tell you, we gotta, we'll, we'll hang out. Um, my family, for years, you crack open a bag of Doritos, it's gone. I mean, it's, it's gone. We have, there are people taking the bag at the end of the bag, making it into a chute. My wife does this. And it's like getting all the crumbs into her mouth. You know who you are, my people. You know who you are. This is what we do. And I remember when the girls were little, you know, we'd sit down and we'd have sandwiches. And the bag of Doritos gets open and everyone's clamoring for the Doritos, Right. And, and, and it gets to the point where there's not many left. And I remember saying to one of my daughters who was asking for more Doritos, I said, I said to her sister, I said, hey, would you give some Doritos to your sister? And the daughter proceeds to complain to me. No, I'm not giving, these are my Doritos. Hands off, dad. I'm not giving up my Doritos, right? She wanted to keep them to herself. Well, here's the thing. I'm not a rich man, but... I can afford more Doritos than my daughters could ever eat in one sitting. I mean, I can get bags. I got a giant eagle advantage card, people. I could get more Doritos than those girls could ever eat. But they're acting like there's only one bag and they can't share it because it's all theirs. You get where I'm going with this? They have a dad who could provide food, more food than they could consume in one sitting. More food than they could consume in one day. I think sometimes we look at our Heavenly Father this way. We take our time, our talent, our treasure, and what do we do? We hang on to it. No, 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 this is mine. This is my bag. I need, I need this. This is for me. All the while, we have a Heavenly Father who could provide everything we need. More time, more talent, more treasure. He can give us all that we need, but what do we do? We hoard it and we hang on to it and we keep a tight grip on it. That's what we do. We're missing it. We're missing that the generosity isn't about money and it's not about how much we give. It's about our satisfaction. 
It's actually about trusting in God. Ultimately, that's what it's about. The text moves on, and we go to verse 6. Paul gives a reminder. He says, so we urge Titus. By the way, Titus was their pastor. I think that, that, that God, through this passage, gives a blueprint of how pastors should approach their work. He says, so we urge Titus, your pastor, just as he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. He says, listen, you, you made a pledge. You said you were going to be a part of this. So we're going to ask Titus to remind you that you've been blessed to be a blessing. The true satisfaction comes from understanding the keros, the favor of God, which is intended to bless other people. We're going to remind you that the true joy is, is in giving yourself first to the Lord. And then we're going to ask you to, to fulfill your promise. You see, generosity is a skill. It's a skill. It's just not a gift. It's a skill that must be developed and perfected. I think the Macedonian church had developed the skill, the discipline of generosity, and, and evidently they had perfected it. And it didn't take a lot of money to do that. It was all about the overflowing joy, them understanding they had been blessed to be a blessing. They've been given this grace. And then in, in verse 7, but since you excel, Paul says, since you excel, Corinthian believers in everything. And by the way, they had the kind of church you'd want to be a part of. Alive, energetic. These were people who were wealthy. They had great wealth. They were blessed. They were educated. They had lots of things going for them. He says, since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and even in the love we have kindled in you. He said, you've taken our lessons. You've done so much with them. Well, then see also that you excel in this grace of giving. I think it's interesting. I think the people who have much are often the, the, the last to want to give. Those of us who have much, we tend to be the ones who are the stingiest. We want to hold on to our bags. and say, no, no, this is mine. You can't have it. I need this. Giving is more than releasing your money. It is filling your hands with God. First, giving yourself to him, being filled to overflowing with joy as a response to him. I have an illustration I want to show you. I'm going to invite Gideon Mangus because it's like the Mangus show up here today. So we got to get Gideon up here. We had Sarah, now we got to get her son up here, Gideon. And Gideon's going to help me with an illustration that we've got to maybe help you understand this principle we're talking about about being satisfied. It's really simple. Gideon's got a couple glasses here. We've got a, a couple bottles of water. And um, I think this will maybe help drive it home for you. So, so listen, many of us tend to have what I would refer to as a slow drip relationship with God. I mean, we go to church a little bit. We, we, we pray a little bit. We might read a little scripture. But hey, hey, not too, not too much, God. Let's not get crazy here, right? We don't want to get out of hand. We keep God on the slow drip. Now, problem happens here because when you have God in slow drip, you've heard about how Christianity is supposed to satisfy your, your deepest needs. That God is supposed to fill you up and make your life whole. But all of a sudden, you just don't feel that in the slow drip relationship. So what do we do? Is this, we take 
stuff. And we say, well, I got to fill this somehow. And so we fill ourselves up with stuff. And, 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 we, and we buy things. Well, this, this makes me feel a little better. There we go. That's a little better. Oh, hey, God, got a prayer request. Let's make sure we get that in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got that. And we just keep on filling ourselves up, trying to fill the void. And then we have a Sunday at church where the pastor comes along. He says, hey, listen, I want to make an invitation to you. There's an opportunity for you to be a part of something. And, and we say, would you, would you give some of this? And we resent that. You know why we resent it? Because this is the thing that we're counting on to make us feel satisfied. No, no, I've got to have this. This is what's kind of filling me up. I'm hoping it's going to fill me up. I hope this is going to satisfy me. And so we don't like it when someone says, hey, you should give some of this. There's an opportunity. There's an invitation for you to be a part of some work. We don't like that. On the other hand, you got the Macedonian Christians. And the Macedonian Christians weren't drip relationship with God. They had a steady, poor relationship with God. They were giving themselves over to God. And as they gave themselves over to God, they were filled up. The Bible says actually that they were filled up to overflowing with joy. I mean, they just kept on going and they gave themselves to God and it's overflowing. And so then stuff comes around, right? They, they get some money and what happens? They don't need that to fill them up. And, and they get some more, and they don't need that to fill them up. Come on, bro, keep going. You ain't scared, okay? <laughs> and, and look, they have all this, and some of it's even coming off here. It's like, it's fine, yeah, we can, we can do without that. Because you know what? The Macedonians understood this, that when you have a steady, poor relationship with God, this kind of stuff, well, you can give it away because the one who gave it to you in the first place can give it right back to you. And so you don't have to hang on to it. Do you see... Thank you, Gideon. And so, I believe we have options in front of us. Do we want to be the kind of people who have a slow drip relationship with God and try to fill the void with something else? Or, like the Macedonians, do we want to fill ourselves up with God to overflowing, trusting that whenever we, we have an opportunity, an invitation to give, we can freely give because he can give it right back to us. I'd say this, to excel in the grace of giving. We must first excel in giving ourselves to the Lord. It all starts with being filled up with the hope, life, goodness, grace, salvation of Jesus Christ. I want to take you back to the text. Robbie didn't read this part, but I'm going to read it to you now. Paul says in verse 8 and 9, a little more to them. And I like this. He says, listen, I think this is really interesting. He says, I'm not commanding you, but I want, you to I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. You know, there are some who would say, hey, Craig, get up there and, and tell, call our people to give. Tell them they got to give more. Lay it on them. Tell them they got to give sacrificially. You hear Paul, he says this. He says, look, I'm not commanding you to give. I'm not going to lay it on you thick. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to give yourselves to the Lord. I, I want to see, do you really love Christ? I want you to compare yourself to the Macedonians who have nothing. Do you really love Jesus? Are you really filled with this hope? If you are, then I know you'll give. I don't need to give you a command. In the same way I say it to you. You know, we're going to have in gathering this month. We're going to have pledges. 
And I could lay it on really thick. But here's what I want to say to you first. Would you be filled up with the life of Christ to overflowing? And if we're really a church like that, we'll be known for generosity. We'll be the kind of people who have open hands and say, yeah, we'd love to give to that. Something going on Urban Impact, we're in. We want to give to it. Something happened in Cambodia, yes, we'll figure it out. Because we are overflowing with the joy of the living Christ in us. And so all this, this is just stuff, we can give that to you. God will give us more. Here, take it. Use it. Be ministered to by it. Use it to advance the kingdom of God. It all begins with you and I giving ourselves first to the Lord. And so I ask you a question. Have you given yourself to the Lord? I mean, some of you who are listening today, maybe the reason you're listening is because you're not satisfied. You're thinking about this life and the troubles of this life, and they've, they've weighed in on you. Well, here's where true life begins. It begins with giving yourself to the Lord. And when you give yourself fully to Jesus, when you trust in him as Savior, well, then you will have joy from the inside that will help you to stand and face whatever it is you might face in this life. It all begins with the overflowing, abundant joy that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. And so give yourself to the Lord. Some of you maybe perhaps have fallen in the trap of this. I do. I do. Trying to fill up voids with, with stuff, with money. It's never going to satisfy the only thing will satisfy is faith in Jesus. So, in this moment, would you pray with me? I want to give you an opportunity to give yourself over, maybe for the first time, perhaps again, to the Lord. Oh, Father, we come before you, and as we consider the Scriptures, we thank you for Jesus, who, though he was rich, for our sake, became poor, so that through his poverty, we might become rich. We thank you for Jesus, God. Through him, we have abundant riches. Thank you that he poured himself out so that our souls can find satisfaction in you and you alone. Oh, Lord, help us to give ourselves over to you. We thank you for the Macedonians and their great faith. I pray, Lord, that every person in this room would give themselves over to you. They'd have the courage. They'd have the faith that they would imagine you in their heart and their mind desiring to pour out a big, fresh glass of water saying, look, be satisfied with me and me alone. And they would take the offer and say, yes, I want to give myself to you, Lord. So, Lord, whether we've find ourselves caught up in trying to fill the void of our lives, the emptiness, to be satisfied by worldly possessions or money. Help us, Lord, to give ourselves over to you and to be filled up with you. If there's anyone who's listening, Lord, who's never given themselves to you first, I pray, Lord, they would have the courage to say, yes, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he's the son of God. I believe he died to pay for our sins, 
I believe that he's the hope of eternity. He rose again. Yes, I believe and I trust in Jesus. Lord, I give myself fully to you. Oh God, thank you for your mercy and your goodness. As we celebrate the sacrament of communion, I pray that it would be a way that all of us, once again, give ourselves over to you first. God, may we be known as a generous church, eager to give of what you've given to us, knowing that you can quickly replace it. You're the great provider. Teach us to be generous, God, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.